Welcome to the Indie Opera Podcast. For the relaunch of the Indie Opera Podcast, we're joined by Paul Fowler, composer of Behold the Man. And we're also joined by Donica Dennehy, composer of The Hunger. Welcome to the Indie Opera Podcast. This is Peter. This is Brooke. This is Walker. And this is Noah. Oh, we did it on the first try. Yeah, because we're actually... We can all see each other. Yeah, we're in the same room. This is so much easier. I can't believe we even tried that over Skype. Yeah, for 28 episodes. That's like a, like a blind... Wait, I'm not in the same room. Oh, yes. And Chuck... Oh, yeah. And Chuck Sachs. Hello, everyone. That was <laughs> Chuck Sachs, is our associate producer, who is in the sound room. I love this. Um, Peter's pointing to him, just in case you can hear it. <laughs> so we are recording at the National Opera Center for the first time, and we are all in the same room, actually staring at each other. And uh, we've resurrected the uh, Indie Opera podcast. Um, and, you know, we used to record this. I used to record this in my closet, actually. Mm -hmm. um, now you're out of the closet. And now we're out of the closet. Uh, That'll be the title of our episode. <laughs> oh, no. No? No closet puns. <laughs> is there even one person who is like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, you don't have Why a is that a big deal? <laughs> you don't have a walk-in closet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, uh, we are resurrecting the show, and we have sort of organized ourselves much more than before. We have an associate producer, Chuck Sachs, who's in the other room. We have the four co-hosts, which are, you are used to. And we also have a recording engineers in the other room. We have Ben Benjamin Young or Ben Young? Should it be Ben? Ben Young. All right. <laughs> ben Young and John Lynn, who are in the other room and helping us out uh, on with all the technology. Uh, but we're really, really glad to be here. And uh, I think this affords the Indie Opera podcast the ability to do all sorts of things we couldn't do before, maybe even some live performance uh, that we can add to the show at some point. But uh, for now, we're going to record monthly here at the Opera Center, and we're really proud to be doing it. Um, a lot has happened in the past two years for all of us, I believe. And uh, so let's just sort of go around and find out what's, what's happened to each of us. Since the last time we recorded a show, I know two years is a lot. So just the highlights. No, oh. no. What happened to you? Uh, Give us uh, yeah. too many highlights. Hey, yeah, I won't go into too much detail. Uh, what happened where, after we left off? I was teaching in the Bronx. Yes. I left that job. I started a charter school job for elementary school kids 
in bed okay it was horrible <gasps> i left after about three months because oh. it was not safe for the kids i don't have to go that far into it <laughs> no it was a nightmare so or as the german said you guys know this word alptraum no, it's no. German for nightmare. Name. Isn't that awesome? Yes. A dream in the Alps. It was truly a dream in the Alps. <laughs> and, uh, the Alps were beautiful. I know, but not at night when the bears and wildebeests come out, I think. That's a bad time. So I leave that job. Uh, my wife at the time, foreshadowing, uh, gets pregnant. <laughs> we uh, have the kid. We the kid. The kid. Otto, my son. The kid. I have a child. It's Otto, my son. We have Otto. Is that his full name, Otto, my son? Yeah. Um, in son? yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Otto uh, Lethbridge. Otto Stansifer Lethbridge was born March fourteenth, two thousand fifteen. Wow. And uh, congratulations. That's great. Congratulations, yeah. Dad. Yes. yes. Noah, Daddy. Dad. Daddy. Big daddy. daddy, that's and? what you gotta call me now. And uh, then my uh, marriage split up, not to dwell on that. And then I discovered, and before this, I also discovered stand-up comedy. So I've been doing that. And so I basically have been doing stand-up. And now I'm teaching high school again, but at a really, really great high school full of international students doing stand-up and podcasting at night and picking my kid up. Isn't teaching kid. high school students in New York City stand-up comedy? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's less funny. This job is, this is the thing. It's less funny than the Bronx because the Bronx was insane. <laughs> and so I just had, I mean, we can swear, right? Um, yes. Uh, we are under no rules. We can speak any way we want to. I mean, I don't want to offend anyone or lose I'm anyone. I'm sorry. The network censors might bleep you. Okay. All right. We like well, bleeps. They, they, we we'll like definitely bleeps. have to have to bleep this so fun. i had a student once say to me in the bronx you could suck my and my <laughs> so we need two different kinds of bleeps yeah that. that made like a kind of choose your own adventure <laughs> insult wow. and uh so nothing like that's probably gonna happen at this school this school looks like a real school where you might send your kids it's amazing so where is it it's right next right across the street from the uh Museum, the the Brooklyn Museum. Oh, great! It's like right oh, next to the Botanical cool. Garden. Oh, great. that's lovely. It's like my my windows. Look, it's it's. I feel like, I feel like a real teacher. All right, and congratulations! Yeah. Wow. And Walker, <laughs> what about cool. you? I hear you have also reproduced. I have reproduced. <laughs> I, I reproduced and I created one spawn. All right. Oh, yes. Only so one. A tiny girl, just just one. Oh. Her name is Uma. She's very oh. cute. Oh. Very proud of her. Is it named after someone in the family, or is it is, the is actress? It named after someone. <laughs> I did it too. It's hard. <laughs> it is a she. They she's come a, online. They don't being. start as people. Yes, uh, she's a human being. Um, no, she was actually named after an Indian goddess. Ah, yes. I didn't Uma. know that. Uma is short for a much longer Indian name. <laughs> that I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's very sweet. She was born May twentieth. She's about four months old right now, wow. so she's uh, she's very sweet. Um, aside from that, I've done a lot of directing. Um, I got to direct uh, the Apprentice scenes at uh, Santa Fe Opera, which was really oh fun. wow. Oh, I got I got one of the the, the best one was uh, Enemies: A Love Story, which is a really cool oh, new I opera. Actually one of the workshops of that oh really when. yeah with center for contemporary opera it's so great it was yeah a, it was really cool who's it by it's ben moore then yeah and i got actually got to meet him over over skype and he he was very very detail oriented about our rehearsals and you know like communicated with our music director and wanted to see video of it and everything so but he was he was expressly concerned with the music he did he didn't really care about the 
the dramatic interpretation at all. He just wanted the music to be very precise and very, very clear. Huh. So that sounds was, like a composer. That was fun. Right. Um, yeah. Sounds like a composer, sounds yeah. Like <laughs> and then the, the only other show I want to mention is um, really cool um, opera double feature that I got to direct. Um, one of which was written by Stuart Copeland, the, oh, wow. uh, the, yeah. the drummer of the Police, which is really fun. He's <laughs> really, cool. really interesting guy. We need to get him on our Maybe show. we can lure him onto yes, our show. Yes, Stuart. Um, and uh, the other piece was by Robert Patterson, who we might talk about later, composer, and uh, the librettist Mark Campbell, who's very, oh yeah, very hot. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Robert yeah. Patterson, the guy from the vampire movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Pattinson, Robert yeah. Pattinson. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Very <laughs> he's very dramatic. He's a different guy. And he's a and he's a percussionist. He's one of one of those composer percussionists running around so two drummer there. operas two drummer operas yeah which was quite quite fun hmm. quite interesting and brooke brooke is here what have, what have you been up to brooke oh, gosh the past two years well i i bought an apartment a year ago wow. i own property in new york city yeah you do yeah that's great that's yeah awesome. it's amazing it's actually it's in um, palm parkway in the bronx which is right near the botanical garden and the zoo it's Ooh. great. It's where like normal people live. <laughs> my neighbors know my name. I nice. love it. <laughs> um, and I have a ton of space, and that's fabulous. Everyone's um, jealous of you. You own property and you have space. Yes, yes. It's great. It's fabulous. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, still singing. Still doing all of that. I did. Um, I did a new opera in May with. Or no, was it? yeah, it was May, with um, Marble City Opera, which is based in Knoxville. We did this opera called Sweets by Kate, written by Griffin Handy, um, which was really cool. It was a sort of a comedy, but my character wasn't really funny. But <laughs> but uh, it was it was a really cool opera set in like the '60s, and I, my parents, my character's parents, had um, they had owned a sweet shop, and they died and so I came home to run the sweet shop but in the meantime the devil has taken over running the sweet shop and so there's like this ensuing drama between the devil who's sort of like manipulating the town and me trying to own the sweet shop it's and oh, I also, so you're the good yeah you're I'm the also, good one <laughs> right well okay. I'm also like I come back with my lesbian partner okay. and so there's like this small town gossipy thing about the about the gay relationship and all that stuff. It's very silly. And yeah. actually, it's really great, really fun. And who was the composer? That sounds like a pen name. Is it a <laughs> real... Griffin Candy. It's his real name. Really? Candy? <laughs> C-A-N-D-Y? C-A-N-D-E-Y. Wow. He's young. He was born in 88, I think. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was oh. it was really fun. Um, I also got to do uh, Das Lied von der Erde. <gasps> oh, with who? With uh, Resonance Works Pittsburgh, wow. which is a multimodal performance company. In that means Pittsburgh. so much what does to that me. Mean, that multimodal. Means, it means they do. Their... People are dancing behind you while you're watching music. Well, actually, that production. <laughs> yes, the yeah. people are dancing, but no, but they do any kind of music basically. So uh, okay. They'll do opera. They'll do choral music. They'll do chamber music. They'll do orchestral music. So it's do they ever, you know, con get contracts with like the whales of the ocean? To sing their songs? Um, also, not, not every music. No. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, they might. I don't know. Yeah. But so far, they've done, you know, like, 
normal stuff. Do you have a recording of it that we can we can edit in? A recording of the Mahler? Yeah. Um, I don't yet, but I can get one. Yeah, get that's get one. Get of it my, quickly, yeah. and if I, we can't edit it into one. the show, we'll. I try. do have um, an aria from the the Candy album. All right, well, that, isn't the last movement like thirty three minutes? Just you? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> I used to drive around. Just we'll like junior <laughs> year of high school with Das Lied with uh, Fritz Wunderlich singing and what's her name? She's really good. She sings Fricka. Is it Crystal Ludwig? Yeah, Crystal Ludwig. And man, that piece. Abschied. It's wow. amazing. Ah, there are The Farewell. Amazing. Oh, Great. it's amazing. It's amazing. But yeah, so, but there is an, I did record an aria from Sweets by Kate and it's on my SoundCloud account. So you can listen. just uh, go very briefly um so i've done a lot of work with the new york opera alliance uh we just had our first festival that i was a chair on that lasted for two months we had uh 26 opera companies involved in it um and stuff all over the city and i'm sure i'll talk about it a lot at some other point i don't want to bore everyone are you going to use the acronym at a certain point. Which one? Niowa. Niowa. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it. It's like a tribe that some anthropologist would study. The Niowa? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't eat with their hands. The Niowa. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. Um, and, the, you know, I've actually, I've been playing concerts. So I've, I've done a couple concerts at the piano. I, uh, oh, good for you. And, um, uh, and the Malay Sisters. The Malay Sisters, which is yeah. a cabaret show about uh, Edna St. Vincent Malay, which uh, uh, we recorded as well. Which and was hope, lovely. Yeah, hopefully yeah. we'll tour with that. And uh, so I've been doing lots of stuff. Let's actually g jump right into our first subject here. Just mention one thing that you've seen in the past two years that you think is deserving of being mentioned on the show. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with, I actually have two things. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. So one of the things I saw, which was part of the festival, and I just wanted to give a shout out to, is um, Opera on Tap. Opera on Tap uh, usually does things in bars, but they also do this thing where they uh, had a thing they called the Playground Opera. They worked with an elementary school, uh, public school here in New York, Public School 129, and they did a version of Cenerentola, Cinderella, with the kids, with soloists. <laughs> sang in Italian and in English. Oh. It was, um, there's a teacher who teaches there, David Gordon, who's a singer you might have actually worked I with. David. You know David. He's a good friend of yeah. mine. You know everyone. David Gordon. He sang Ramiro. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard, yeah. And actually, <laughs> Augusta Caso was the uh, Cenerentola, and she was amazing. Um, and the way that they worked with the school, they had a narrator, this character who came in, uh, 
played by Glenn Heroy. He was the coachman, and he's actually a, uh, a a clown with the Big Apple Circus when they existed. I don't think they exist anymore. They don't? Oh, no, really? No, I think Big gone? Apple... Oh. I haven't seen him on TV in a long yeah. time. I don't he think they TV? exist anymore. No, but I mean <laughs> on other people's TV, at the yeah. barber shop, circuses on at TV? the places that... No, but they used to have big ads when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah. Oh, no, I used to watch them. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. they lost their funding for their major shows here. They're uh-huh. still doing all their school and training work, right. but... The big, um, the um, one tent, the big, you know, one is gone, unfortunately. Yeah. How do you know that? I know, you know so many things. He's the voice from <laughs> above. discovered that Chuck knows everything. Yeah, he does. Oh, know. Chuck, okay, you sound just like that again. guy Paul Schaefer on David Letterman. Oh, yeah. Your voice sounds exactly yeah. like Paul Schaefer. Yeah, oh my God, I, I, I didn't think about it until yeah. I only heard it. You're like, you're like <laughs> over right. there at yeah. the piano. Right? I can picture him. Sorry. And the other the thing, I want, I want to give a big shout out to them because it's a great program and the kind of stuff they're doing is the thing that's really going to create new audiences. It was a hoot to watch and it's really, I, it was probably the most uh, important thing I've seen in the past two years. It really moved me and it's not the kind of thing that gets much press attention so I wanted to put that out there. And the other thing I saw was the premiere of Nadine Sierra. Do you know who she is? Yep. She sang Gilda at, in Met's production of Rigoletto uh, you know, she she sang Caro Nome, which I absolutely hate Caro Nome. It's like my least favorite aria. And she sang with such... Why? Oh, I just hate it. I don't know. It's just, I've never heard it done right until now. <laughs> until now. I'm telling you, she I've sang with such joy. Seriously. Okay, okay. Such joy <laughs> and precision mm-hmm. and beauty. She was like a little teenager come alive. Um, she reminded me a lot of like no seriously no no it's just a little teenager come alive like, no but it's like <laughs> it's like Blair Witch somehow right. know, it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> do you know Kelly O'Hara you know her South mm-hmm. Pacific when she sang A Wonderful yeah. Guy and it was like she touched yeah. she touched joy and it came out Nadine Sierra did this thing mm-hmm. and I mean I got goosebumps I looked at uh, my partner who came to see it with me and we were just slack jawed with awe this singer is amazing and there was no press coverage They, I saw her when she won the regional Met competition in Boston, like when she was twenty. Yeah, jeez, that what was, she sang? She, I don't, you know, I don't remember actually, yeah. but I remember her. Yeah, and she, you know, she was the youngest person on the stage. Twenty, and, she won the thing. and then she went on to win the whole thing that right. year. So. so I just wanted to mention that because the, the the Times didn't cover her premiere and there was a little bit of press, but very little, and it just really moved me very deeply. So. Tomasini's slipping. He's sleeping on well, that one. Well, I don't think it was there that, that night. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Yeah. Um, so I, two 
Well, two things I want to mention. First, I saw Dolly Parton at Tanglewood this summer. Oh, all right. And she was amazing. Like, if you have a chance to see this woman perform, it is extraordinary. The the company I'm going to talk about wrote an opera about Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's amazing. And actually, she she just released a recording of Jolene with Pentatonix, (gasps) which y'all should listen to. Really? I love that. Y'all should. Y'all should. But no, but she was amazing. (laughs) Um, But that's not opera. So, um, opera related. uh, Something that I saw... I saw the double bill of Dido and Lucia that uh-huh. uh, Heartbeat Opera did oh. last spring. Wait, they did Dido and Lucia de Lammermoor? Yeah. So they did two. Wow. They cut mix. Lucia yeah. down yeah. to 90 minutes. They oh. cut a lot out. They made it all about um, her madness. Right. And so they sort of changed the story a little bit. They cut some significant parts of the music. Um, and then they did... Dido, and these were two sort of part of a festival, so you could see one or both. We saw both. And it was really great theater. We had a great time. Um, the Everybody on the stage was, like, doing the same show. Like, the orchestra, the orchestration for the Lucia was piano, toy piano, clarinet, cello, percussion, guitar, and electric guitar. The, you know, the orchestra and all the actors were in the same show trying to tell the same story, which often you go see an opera and you're like, well, that, I don't know, that guy's doing something else. Like, he's not, yeah. like, we're not all in the same we're show. Yeah, we're on not the telling stage. the same story. But story. this was, yeah, yeah this, this was great. And same with the Dido. And they played up, like, Dido can be a really boring opera, but they basically went for, like, the weird stuff, they went as weird as you could possibly go. <laughs> yeah. Which actually made it much more effective storytelling because it made it a lot scarier and creepier and weird well the counter tenor um, witches they can be yeah i mean they, they, they had a tenor yeah. play the witch oh okay so he, yeah and so Sounds basically creepy. what they did is they had dido and they had four other singers and the four other singers played everybody else including the chorus oh, and yeah. so and then the orchestra was on stage and actually moved around in the in the space it was really cool i like that that's a new thing that's yeah. happening that i don't think is gimmicky when it's really good no it was really it like it made perfect mm. sense because of the way that they'd staged this it was great i yeah so i was super excited about that so and i know that they have a festival coming up again i think they're doing carmen and butterfly in the spring um, and then I'm going to see Loft Opera's Cozy Fantasy on Friday. Great. Okay. All right. I shall report back. Cozy. Okay, we, we, we'll be losing Brooke because she has to run off. Yeah, but thank go. you so say much losing. for coming for the beginning losing. of the show. I, yeah, but you know, I'll be back next time. Yeah. All right. Yay. We're loaning her back out to the world. Um, I want to talk about this company, Rhymes with Opera, who yes. has been around for a while. I think they've been around since uh, like around 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting group because they're ma- they have two composers and three singers. So they're they're really um, interesting mix of people. And uh, they, the composer, George, one of the composers, George Lamb, uh, with librettist John Clum, wrote this new opera called Heartbreak Express. And it's about uh, these Dolly Parton super fans. Oh my gosh, that's Dolly! It's now it's so Dolly! And look, look, that's she's going to I think they do a great job. They're uh, they're write really interesting music, really intelligent music, but it's very funny 
And and uh, to me, that's that's something I'm always looking for: funny opera that isn't just that isn't stupid. Yeah, you know? funny that's <laughs> not slapstick. Yeah, that that's, yeah. It doesn't have to be slapstick. It's it's intelligent. It's um, it's it has really interesting instrumentation. I think there was percussion. There was um, uh, what else? Saxophone. Um, and uh, and it's just it, they have some videos on their website, so you you should check them out. It's very good. Good so our Dolly Parton, like super fans, these are people with, you know, the Dolly Parton floor mats and the Dolly Martin Parton posters and the hats and like the rooms filled with merchandise. That exactly. Kind of stuff. Okay. exactly. Yeah. yeah of two, of them, two of them are actually designing a Dolly Parton doll. And they've uh, they poured life their... Life-sized? No, no <laughs> unfortunately not. Damn but they've, they've poured their life savings into creating a prototype of this doll. And, <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they won an opportunity to meet Dolly Parton. So they're going to show it to Dolly Parton try to get her blessing. I bet she's not going to. That seems strange. No, no. She's, she'll, she'll she's be game. into it. She'll, she she's game. game. Yeah, she's, a, well, she's, she's like a show business woman. Yes. As long as she, she gets a that. cut of it. Oh, yeah, but that's <laughs> what I mean. She's, yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so to be totally honest, I've been doing stand-up a lot and have been like really not watching a lot of opera Uh and I think it was part of this process of like kind of molting and as an artist, and you know what I mean? Just kind of like <laughs> getting out of one shell and becoming a new thing for a little while. And then now I've been, I did, I've been doing stand up for like two years. So that's like, I know kind of how to do mics and how to f do bar shows and stuff like that. And I'm feeling like, all right, I can come back to opera now. And I'm not as conflicted as I was before about something i don't know what it is inside i had this feeling like you know i love opera but at the same time as a performer it's not what i want to do i want to talk about it and listen to it and know it but i don't want to perform it but i do want to perform and where do i put that energy so hence stand up so it's a future um, tense tool. it's a future thing that i have to i mean the the things that i saw that really uh, impressed me in the past few years were were really theater more than anything um and the one that i want to talk about is this is not opera but i think it would make a good opera uh, it would make a good two-person opera, and I bet you could build, you could do it with Bluebeard's Castle because it's oh, depressing. That is one of my favorite operas That's of all time. That's also Peter's one of his. No favorite way! Operas. Yeah, actually, that is my like yeah. one of my ultimate oh, really? dreams. Direct that. Um, yeah. So yeah, this play, that. somebody has. We need a composer to make yeah. this play into an opera. It's called "The Masses Are Asses." <laughs> do you know this play at all? No, it's no. by the guy who started or was one of the start founders of the of the new Yorican poets cafe right and it's like it's two people who in the beginning of the play they're super um snobby and they're they're like on vacation together and they hate poor people and you you just kind of fall into hating them because they're snobby and what happens is over the course of only about 45 minutes you really start to question what you're watching and what you think you're seeing falls apart in such a delicious way. <laughs> and it just, be, it's, it's one of the things that I've seen, like that's been a live performance that I just went, oh, it's still possible to cause people to not sleep at night with something <laughs> you can do on stage, you know? So it's not an opera, it's a play, but it should be an opera. And I'm, I'm excited about seeing a lot of new opera this year because I'm, I'm ready for it. So let's mm -hmm. talk about, right, let's just mention where we all have one thing to mention in the future yeah. that we want to see. I'm going to mention mine um, and I'm going to mention one that's really uh, out there. Robert Bradshaw. Do you remember Robert Bradshaw? He was on one of our first shows. He did Dot Gabriel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Did he send us a libretto? Didn't I have a libretto yeah, of Dot Gabriel? So. 
Okay. And um, he's actually writing an opera that he's calling a steampunk steampunk opera and uh we'll edit a little bit of the sound in in the background but what you're going to hear is missing what i think is the most interesting part they're actually going to create use they're going to compose this with uh to be played with percussion that's entirely made up of actual 18th century machinery synced together will you join me Yeah, so it's uh, kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting, and I'm really curious to see what it is. So I'm going to keep my eye out for that. Makes me think of two things. Makes me think of those those Italian futurists, right? Luigi Russolo and, and the other dude Alfie mm-hmm. Mamalfi or something, mm-hmm. and they made like noise machines, right? And then also um, George Anthiel. Have you heard yes, of this yes, guy? He wrote like with the player pianos. Yes. And, yeah, well, I no, that's that. Conlon Nancaro. That's yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, Nancaro. That stuff. Yeah. What did what did Anthiel just Anthiel wrote? Did. He wrote. I think he wrote a piece called like mechanical music yeah and it's very yeah. it kind of sounds like what you're talking about he was interested in what machines sound like not not the human sounds that machines can make but the machine sounds machine they sound. can make that yeah. is yeah that is really interesting yeah. Stuff. yeah so this piece is uh it sounds a little bit like a faust uh faust crossed with uh well it's basically uh, a, a guy who builds an automaton wife replacement there's a devil character so there's a lot it's like of H.G. Wells. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of uh, um, Hoffman esque. Yeah, yeah, something. Hoffman, in yeah. Uh, Olympia. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, Olympia scene. So yeah. I'm curious. We'll 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 know more, and when we have some dates or something, I'll put it on the show so that encourage people to follow him. He's been doing a lot of great work. Um, so that's one thing I'm looking forward to hearing about this year. It's funny with Hoffman. I always. Before I was in it with Peter as mm-hmm. the conductor, I thought of it like she's a doll. But it wasn't until I was in the show that I'm like, she's a robot. Mm. Right, like how, right. How futury that is. Yeah. Wait, you know, she's talking about the one that we all did together? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, she is a ro- Like, how else? Because there's no such thing yeah. as a life-size doll now or ever, really. Mm-hmm. Well, except for if you count for, like, half-size Barbie, which creeped everyone out in the early 90s. <laughs> but she's like an android. She's like an android. Yeah. And, and that opera was, what, 18... 18- 70 something yeah. I'm, I'm someone's gonna call in and know this mm-hmm. yeah, chuck. yeah chuck do we know chuck. the voice from above do we know when hoffman was written silence, silence. silence. god's when silence. he doesn't know he doesn't speak i'm not that Martin. old <laughs> i may be transylvanian but i'm not that old long in the tooth uh, um should I say one I'm yeah. looking forward to? Yeah. There's one coming up in the uh, Prototype Festival called Matahari that I'm, I'm really excited to see. I, I saw a workshop of it here where they were developing it. Uh, it's directed by a friend of mine named Paul Pierce, and uh, it's by the composer Matt Marks. And it's really interesting subject matter. It's about, um, uh, I'll just read the description here, the legendary and controversial female mystic dancer Matahari, who was executed for espionage during World War One, and um, apparently she was loved and hated by a number of men around her, who ultimately destroyed her. Um, and it sounds it sounds like a really interesting production with 
physical theater. Um, again, really cool orchestration. Guitar, banjo, uh, accordion. I think there's a drum machine involved. Um, it has tango in it. Um, just, just uh, I th think there's this video design, unconventional uh, instrumentation. Um, so should be should be cool. I just wanted to mention huh. one thing. Um, they're doing a fundraising walk um, for it. So go to matahariopera.com to find out about that. Walk for opera. Walk for opera. Walk for, that makes yeah. a lot of sense on a lot of levels. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us opera people, not walker lovers. Walking. Well, walker lovers. Walker, walker Lewis lovers. Yes. Walking mm -hmm. lovers. Not so. Yes. So there's lots of stuff going on, and <clears throat> I was going to read it, but we actually have two guests. Wait, wait. I get to talk about the honga. Yeah, but we're actually, that's one of our guests. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. So uh, the thing that, 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 that uh, Noah's looking forward to, we actually got the composer. Yeah, we did. Mm. So when we bring the composer in, mm. we'll talk more about that. That's going to be amazing. Um, so let's take a break and uh, drop in some commercials. Oh, man, Ooh. this is totally like Wayne's World when they went corporate. <laughs> man. Yeah. Noah's Arcade was advertising <laughs> on the show, man. <laughs> We're selling out. Yeah, dude. And we'll be back with Paul Fowler, <laughs> uh, the composer of Behold the Man. Little Opera Theatre of New York presents the New York City premiere of Carlisle Floyd's newest opera, Prince of Players. Prince of Players follows the story of Edward Kiniston, a Shakespearean actor famous for his performances of the female roles in the Bard's plays. The production will be presented by the Little Opera Theatre of New York February 23rd through 26th at the Kay Playhouse at Hunter College. For more information, visit the Little Opera Theatre of New York's website at www.lotny.org. Opera lovers, save these dates. The Martina Arroyo Foundation's Young Artist Program, Prelude to Performance, will present Bizet's Carmen and a double bill of Puccini's Suor Angelica and Gianni Schicchi next July 6, 7, 8, and 9 at the K Playhouse at Hunter College. These exciting audience favorites are traditionally staged and costumed with orchestra. Details for these and other events can be found at martinaarroyofgn.org. Don't miss hearing our rising opera stars.
tell you about the heart. And we'd like to welcome Paul Fowler, the composer of Behold the Man, to the show. And hi, I'm Peter, and this is... Noah. And I'm Walker. And we're, we're so glad to have you on the show. Um, I'm so happy to be here. So, uh, you know, I have to admit that uh, the reason I contacted you is I saw that lovely article in the New York Times and my jaw hit the floor because I've been thinking about that fresco in Spain that the, <laughs> that the lady did, that the lady, I don't want to say ruined because that would be disrespectful. It's a matter of taste. <laughs> matter of taste. Yeah. But I, I've been thinking about that and I've seen the meme go around and I kept going, wow, what a great, great story. And then there you are with, an, with the opera. It's perfect timing. We tried, we tried. We've been working on it for a while, but I'm glad it it, it hit. You know, the New York Times thing has been really fascinating, and that with for the same reason you just described. Hmm. So now it's interesting. You've actually done this in Spain, in the town where where the story takes place. Yeah, we did. Like, um, we did an outdoor concert actually in the <laughs> sort of yard of the church where the fresco is wow. insane um, they That's did great. it in late august um they did it at night there was like 700 people and a bunch of a bunch of international media and they did nine arias and ensemble numbers from the piece <laughs> wow um, so, so let's, it was super super cool how big how big is the actual fresco when you're there like what is it is it like a mona lisa thing where it's smaller than you think it is or is it how big it's is smaller it? than you think it is i actually mm -hmm. haven't been there um my my partner librettist andrew flack is the one who's been going to spain okay. um but it's it, yeah it's small it's not <laughs> It's not a big thing. It's like mm. the size of a nice wedding picture on your wall. Ah, okay. so now let's yeah. talk about the the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. So, uh, listen, sure. well, listening to the piece, it just sounds like it's incredibly funny and almost uh, almost like The Simpsons in that the characters are behaving in ways that are just sort of over the top and and whatever. How did the town respond to what they were hearing uh, as the character, how you portrayed their town? Are this is something that they're really excited? Were they baffled by it? Um, I think some people, there's, I think there's a lot of buy-in because of the popularity that it's created in the town. So I mm -hmm. think in some ways they're probably not going to tell me <laughs> how they feel about it. But I mean, for the most part, including Cecilia herself, everyone's been really supportive and positive about the experience. I think, 
you know, we're definitely, it's definitely over the top. It is an opera after all. Um, Hmm. Why not over the top? Yeah, that's a good uh-huh. point. People, yeah, we were just and, talking a minute ago about like how some people think the form is really stodgy and really stiff, but the, over the top, that that word that you that you use, it's like it's a, it, to me it describes exactly what I like about opera. It's so huge. It should be about big emotions and big ideas, and it can be funny, you know. Now the librettist, yeah, absolutely. When he when he was writing this, did. Did he speak with the the actual people? How much interaction did you have with the town in the creation process? Um, sure. So you know, it it began really with Drew reading the story and emailing me and saying, "Hey, what do you think of this?" Because I've been asking him about an opera for as long as we've known each other. And um, we started eating breakfast together once a week or every couple of weeks and brainstorming the story and. Uh, that summer, actually, the year after, the first year, he went to Spain and, um, you know, went in sort of as a as a faux journalist, you could say, <laughs> and um, got to know the mayor and managed to organize a meeting with Cecilia and a bunch of the other sort of. He actually met almost all of our actors in the show, even though we were kind of making him up. Um, and, you know, learned more about the story and got to know everyone. And now, I mean, I think for, for Drew, especially the whole, this whole process of writing this opera has been more about connecting with the people in that town. I mean, it's, it's Mm. an emotional work for him now because of his relationships with people that he's, has met there. I mean, he's gone back three times. That's interesting because you, you might, some, some people might think that you were, mocking or making fun of the town but actually you 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 have a lot of empathy for them right i mean especially especially the woman who who actually painted it yeah i mean absolutely the uh-huh. the the idea here is that no one in the town could have gotten over how ridiculously funny and bad <laughs> it looked or was without being capable of laughing yeah. at it having happened you know and mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's sort of the point of comedy, and I think that was that's really what we're going for with this. You know, I mean, everyone is, it's nuts, it's crazy, it's funny, we're, we're playing it up. This shop, this shop, is the shop for which I am known. Martinez hats, custom-made, hand-sewn, straw-felt, cotton and Short or wide, slouch or pull. Managed today by my step-great-granddaughter, Sylvia, a lovely girl when you get to know her. And you should, and you will, my darling, lovely girl. You know, we're pushing buttons as much as we can, um, but it's got a happy ending and <laughs> there isn't entirely a villain in the long run, although there sort of is. And, you know, in the true story, it, it actually really, the whole thing really works out for the town in the long run. Anyway, it, it's yeah. still working out for them now. Well, there's no yeah. bad press. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. If if you were, if you could pick any venue uh, for this opera, what do you what do you feel like the ideal venue would be to to perform it? 
that's a, that's a hard one. I mean, when we started writing it, the goal was was really to do sort of third tier, upper level college program, community based opera and light opera companies, so that mm-hmm. it would really be available to common people. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a folk opera. Having <laughs> a bunch of New York Times articles and stuff makes us wish it was on Broadway or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it seems to be um, crossing that line yeah. between musical theater and opera. Um, I I'm going to make a confession that I don't believe there is a line anymore. I mean, I just don't believe it. Yeah, there's not. I mean, I I th- actually think that there's sung theater. Period. Which performers have known forever. You know, you know and other people don't. I've just I've totally mm-hmm. obliterated that line in my head, so that now everything I see, I'm putting it all in one basket. Um, did and I think this is a perfect example. Um, we should listen to let's say Ece Homo, and uh. No, <laughs> no, it's a piece. Oh, okay. It's part no, of the album. Come opera. get you at <laughs> Come get you at you. Come get you at you. Oh, I should actually <laughs> play it. <laughs> So I, I love the sound of that. It's really, it's almost disco inspired. Uh, uh, s- but the singers are still singing in sort of an operatic tone. So it's kind of interesting. The mix, it could be sung actually straight Broadway. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of what I hear in uh, in the recordings is that this could be done straight up, you know, on in either by style. By actor singers, by non And it would work. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you feel like you I need mean, opera singers to do it? or what, what, what? I think, I mean, ideally we'd have a variety. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I mean, definitely Adriana's character, who like has all the diva moments and the high notes and the runs and stuff, is is definitely intended for you know like a bel canto singer kind of mm-hmm. person. But certainly Martinez and um, who is the ghost of the original painter, he like he's like a gadfly, you know, he's kind of mm-hmm. a lounge act in a way. Um, and similarly, um, our sort of young people in the cast, Arturo and Silvia. You know, they're singing pop tunes the whole time anyway. Um, you know, they sing over um, the rhythm riff from uh, Gaudier's uh, Somebody I Used to Know. And they, uh-huh. they do that that sort of thing. You know, they're constantly bringing in music that was current at the time in 2012 in Spain and on the pop charts and on the Internet. And as a composer, you're coming to this as a singer because I when, when I was investigating you, I found video of you singing as well and you're quite amazing actually oh geez oh, yes yeah. as a countertenor <laughs> and as well uh we're gonna play a little clip here of you singing the overtone piece with orchestra i'm gonna make a oh, gesture cool. yeah uh, towards drew and let's listen to this Is unbelievable. Amazing. Now, I've heard, you know, throat singing before, but I swear that is the most, that is some of the highest skilled 
overtone singing I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I've seen Tibetan monks do it, tubin, tubin <laughs> and, and it sounds Tuvan throat singing, uh -huh. and 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 it's there were moments of of absolutely sublime beauty, but in between those moments there was just a lot of. <laughs> You know what I mean? The question is, can you do the <laughs> also? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like you were smart in composing the orchestra to cover the fundamental mm. so that so that your fundamental that you're singing isn't as heard as and then your overtone was just floating above it. But it sounds like you also had to do math to figure out how to do you're actually singing scales and notes. Yeah, yeah. It was like a it was a very fun counterpoint exercise in which you know the two lines, the, the 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 whistling overtone line always has to be part of the overtone series of the bottom note, mm. so mm -hmm. of the fundamental. So I mean, what was really fun about writing that piece was figuring out all of the different ways the counterpoint could work, and then how to make that, you know, a, a, a strong melodic component of the piece. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it was. It was basically I was given the opportunity to write a piece, and I called the conductor and said, "Hey, can I overtone on this one?" And, and thankfully, Paul Haas is flexible and brilliant, and said yes. And so, you know, it was a chance also to hone my chops. Did you? Uh, when did you figure out you could do this? Is it, this strikes me as something that you might have done in the back seat of a long car ride and figured it out one day when you were ten or something. No, I, no. I didn't really start overtoning until. I mean, really consciously, probably until my late twenties. But um, did you study? You know, when someone? I was in college, David Hikes. I, I came across David Hikes' work, who's a great, phenomenal overtone singer, and mm. um, you know, had a couple records. But I never really went there because I was busy being a voice major and afraid of making noises. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when I when the voice thing kind of left, and I started hanging out in Boulder and with friends and it came up and then I spent a couple of years annoying my wife and child <laughs> while doing the dishes and overtones. <laughs> so you, so you have complete control over both of those melodic lines. I mean, yeah, for sure. That is amazing that you can, and you can, you can improvise. You can, you can, that's a, that's, that's an amazing skill. Yeah. Improvising is its own extra challenging part because you're sort of doing, you know, two-part math the whole time. But mm -hmm. but given practice, it works out. Yeah. I'm going to ask a really stupid question. But uh, so you started out as a singer or as a composer? Yeah. Um, my mom and dad are both um, opera singers. My mom professionally for much of her career. And my dad, it was his hobby, but he did it with mom. So he was a pro. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up singing and that was kind of my entryway into the performing arts. I did, you know, I was musical theater triple threat person when I was you a, baritone? a high school student. Were you a baritone? So, yeah. Um, say, say again. Sorry. Are you a baritone? I mean, when you're not countertenoring or overtoning? I end up singing mostly tenor literature. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I can certainly baritone, I suppose. In college, I sang mostly baritone. So, um, did you grow then, up in the Boulder area? Yeah, Is that I, was, I was a voice major the whole time I was in school. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's definitely been my gateway into all of that. Mm -hmm. And is Boulder right now? Is there a lot happening in Boulder? Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. There's certainly. A I mean lot that in a loving way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't knock Boulder. But, uh, I'm not knocking oh, Boulder. I love Boulder. Healthiest <laughs> place in America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I might move there. Um. <laughs> I mean, you know, the music scene here is 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 what you'd expect of a college town, really, right? There's CU Boulder has a very large music department, so we have lots of lots of Bach and Mahler and lots of concerts and churches and hmm. lots of ensembles, and then and then we have some very interesting funky things that are going on like um one of the choirs i sing with who actually sings on some of those recordings that y'all have of the opera they do all only contemporary and early music right nothing in the middle so it's like renaissance and something that was written yesterday um and they they were they have a couple overtone pieces so that kind of led me in that direction and then the reason i kind of got obsessed with with overtoning, just to tie back to that initial question, is that um, a dear friend of mine who's a violist at CU Boulder had actually wanted to take voice lessons because she was learning how to do overtone singing with David Hikes, doing mm-hmm. meditation retreats with him. And so I kind of came in to help out and then got obsessed. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, those are, those, that's how I mean that when I got here, that was kind of up and around. That was just what was going on. People were doing it. It was... It was in vogue, overtone singing. Huh. It was in vogue. My students love it. I gotta say, if, if they're ever bored with me, I just have to overtone sing. And I, <laughs> you're are, you're a teacher. Yeah. But I um I run the music department at a very small liberal arts institution okay. called Naropa University. Oh, oh. oh Naropa. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, that's great. So um, I also was looking at the other things you've done. You, you did a piece here in New York at the Armory in, uh, in a collaboration with another composer? Mm-hmm. Um, I did a piece. Um, this is with Paul Haas's group, Sinfo. Right. Um, and we did a piece. It was Paul Haas wrote music for it. I wrote music for it. So did Bora Yoon, um, who's doing very cool stuff in New York as well. She and I actually went to college together, and Paul met her at some concert and then we all did this concert together and realized we all knew each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was somewhat collaborative. Um, Bora and I worked on some electronics for one of the pieces together and I incorporated some of her stuff into one of my pieces and, um, and we all kind of wove this around a, a bunch of sort of valuable, powerful, traditional symphonic works. Um, you know, we did some other parrot and we did, some Beethoven. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I know when like I first one of listened. Pieces, and then one of Bora's pieces. And it, it was it was actually a really cool concert. That hall is so amazing to perform in because mm. the sound is so unusual. It's so big. It's very cool. And what's coming up for you next? What's I, I... um this opera is like all that's on my plate just because <laughs> I'm you know I'm I'm running a music program full time and then yeah. working on the opera in the early morning hours before my family's awake. Um, and and so and we're basically I mean the piece is done we are you know rehashing little bits and um, I'm right now I'm working with the Spanish translator and and wedding the Spanish to the music which is its own fascinating Mm. um, learning process because uh, the plan is there is the town in Spain is, is hoping to produce the piece this coming summer fully produced you know Right. Hall, costumes, lights, the whole spiel. Um, they're planning on doing it next August uh-huh. um, in Zaragoza, which is the nearest town that would have an abstract, like a house they could do it in. Um, let's go, I let's think we go. go. All like, done we're all looking at each other and thinking, oh <laughs> my God, trip. I have to go. Yeah, that's really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to find out more about your piece, where, where should they go? 
Um, easiest place is just to check out our website. It's beholdthemanopera.com. Mm-hmm. And you can, we have a Facebook page, which is the same thing, um, facebook.com slash Behold the Man Opera. And we've got videos and some things that we've made out of our recent demos and, you know, any news or other articles and press that gets, that goes up, we post there. And, you know, any upcoming performances, if, how, when they all happen, um, I'm sure it will go out through that form. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. We'll let you get back to your child and wife. I know it's later there than it. No, it's earlier there. No, it's, it's earlier. earlier. It's earlier. It's earlier. We're the night owls. You, you have plenty of time to overtone while you're washing <laughs> yeah. dishes. Yes. Practice I can time. annoy everyone. Yeah. In the <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. The Inner Circle is a sexually blunt new opera about a group of researchers in the 1940s, led by the charismatic visionary Professor Kinsey, whose lives are entangled in his quest to scientifically study human sexual behavior in a way never before attempted. Let Opera on Tap tease you with scenes from this opera in development by Daniel Felsenfeld and Kate Gale, followed by a talkback and reception with the creators, incubated by the Cell Theater. The Inner Circle is part of Opera on Tap's Roadworks commissioning series. Performances of The Inner Circle, a teaser, are October 20th and 21st at 7.30 at the Cell Theater, 338 West 23rd Street. For more information, visit innercircleopera.com. We have Donica Dennehy on, on the line. He's the composer of The Hunger, which will be at BAM on September 30th through October 1st. And welcome to the show, Donica. Thank you. Thanks. I, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. You are. You're saying it perfectly. Oh, all right. We're yeah. really excited to have you on the show. Um, and we were just talking about things that we're looking forward to seeing in, the, in uh, the, this upcoming season. And Noah, actually, one of our co- co-hosts, listed you as the one thing he's really looking forward to. Oh, that's great. I hope I don't disappoint Noah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, um, I just thought that the program in general for BAM looked amazing this season, but the hunger caught my eye right away, uh, particularly because of... Uh, Alarm World Sound's involvement, which is a group that, uh, you know, I did my undergraduate at Eastman, and a lot of my TAs there were in Alarm World Sound. So I've kind Mm -hmm. of been, you know, following them and following their work, Mm -hmm. and uh, The Hunger just looks like a really interesting project, and it seems like a new way of doing opera in many ways. And uh, we're just really happy to have you on to have you talk about it because it's happening very soon. So tell us a little bit about the the project. It's about the potato famine in Ireland at the late 1800s. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of jumping off point for us. Um, I'd long wanted to do an opera about that subject, but had to find a way in. And then I found these astonishing firsthand accounts by an American woman called Asenath Nicholson, who had actually traveled around Ireland during that period. And um, I decided to extract the text from those accounts. Mm. 
Uh, and that forms the main narrative tr uh, thread through the piece. But then I situate it in a sort of contemporary context too, with intercut with various uh, video interviews with people like um, Noam Chomsky, Paul mm. Krugman, mm -hmm. uh, the historians uh, Megan Vaughan and Maureen Murphy, and uh, the economist Branko Milanovic. And these are kind of underscored as well in the opera, along with another singer, Irlo Leonard, who is what's known as the Shanno singer, who uh, which is a kind of a traditional Irish singing, and he is sort of the voice of the native people within that. So there's this kind of tableau between Asenath and him, and that's intercut with these video voices. So the, as it were, the Irish famine is used as an excuse, uh, as a narrative excuse for examining some wider issues as well. So is it a narrative piece with a story, or is it more abstract? It's more like a docu-opera. That's the way I would consider oh. it, or like an opera documentary, that they that there are these um, narrative uh, strands from Asenath, which are about specific things that she saw in relation to an old man whose family were dying, really, of starvation. And, they're, and they're, are, they, are they in diary form? Huh? Sorry to interrupt you. Are, the annals that you're talking about, they, are they in diary form, or is it more like an early anthropology or ethnography or...? It's more of a diary, okay. uh, but it was published as a book, Annals of the Famine mm -hmm. in Ireland. So she kind of, it was her talking about what she saw as she wandered around. And there's one point where she publishes a letter uh, where she's sort of pleading for people to help. And then that letter is kind of set as a kind of dramatic moment in, the, in this piece. Yeah. Tell me about the size of this. Is this uh, a, a large cast piece or is it uh, with a folk singer? And uh, what is sort of the scale of this? Well, the cast is small, so it's it's the Asenath Nicholson, which is sung by this wonderful English soprano, Catherine Manley, and then um, we have Irlo Leonard, who is this uh, Shanno singer who sings these kind of um, the only kind of Irish texts that survive from that time, actually. Um, In Gaelic, and then uh, we have the the five video screens, and I consider them characters. Mm. Is um, he singing in Gaelic? And, and then, of course, the the ensemble. And is he and he's singing in Gaelic? Or is he singing traditional songs, or is it songs that you've written in the style? He Irla sings in Gaelic. Yeah. I saw your your uh, I don't know if it was your last opera, but your recent opera, The Last Hotel. I really really loved it. And uh, oh, thank you. And um, I was curious the the style of the of the new music aside from the old songs, the, the new music of this piece is is it in a similar vein as The Last Hotel, or or have you totally changed the the style of it? 
Uh, no, there is a similar vein um, in that I've written this as well, and you know, one can't escape oneself. <laughs> uh, but but also, there is, um, I suppose, one thing that's an added dimension here is the kind of Shan Nose type of singing that Irla does, uh, which of course I know very well, and I've actually it's I actually write original music for that type of singing. Um, because I've done an, an, another piece with him years ago called Grog as Boss, which translates mm-hmm. as Love and Death. Mm-hmm. And um, a, so that is slightly different, where the singing in The Last Hotel is very definitely sort of classical, well, pure-toned classical singing. Mm-hmm. Um, in, uh, in this, you have this other type of singing that takes place. And also, I might say that it, I work a lot with kind of overtone based harmonies and sometimes people miss that because I have a very mm. pulsating rhythmic kind of structure and people don't associate overtone based harmony with that mm. um, but I- I- if anything in the hunger that's even richer in victim blaming kind of arguments that um, Glenn Williams produced in these contexts Yeah, I think this moral aspect, I think I find extremely um, problematic and unpleasant. The idea that it's somehow um, kind of people's with their inferiority are unable to um, sort of not sufficiently, not working hard enough to support themselves in a dissonant in various ways. Yeah, yeah no. I'm, I'm um, so do you because I think there's two ways to, to, to attack it, but when you say overtone-based uh, music, do you mean overtone singing, or do you mean you compose out overtones in music like maybe like spectral composers do? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, so that's why sometimes uh, people might miss it in that my surface is very pulsating, rhythmic, uh, with making use of repeating, stru- or not re- exactly repeating structures, asymmetrical, actually, mm-hmm. but they have a, they depend on um, repetition to some extent. But actually, yes, I mean it in the kind of spectral way that I use these harmonies that are colored by overtones. It's that they sort of fuse to become almost sounding like electronic timbres uh-huh. in places. Yeah. And in fact, that's very important in when... when in place in when I'm setting the video. Because the video voices I don't set like someone like Steve Reich or whatever who uh-huh. would actually sort of almost mimic the voices. Uh-huh. But, the ha- but the harmony in the orchestration is uh, is done in such a way as to work with the, the, with the kind of pitch content of the interviewees. So you don't double the voices, you just... No, you, I don't. You, that you, was a very deliberate decision. Yeah. So, you, so you, are you thinking of it being a supporting overtone cradle for the voice or are you thinking of yes, it yeah okay. but also then it becomes part of the material for the singing too mm. yeah so now it, it sounds like it's a sort of has a political uh, message uh especially about economics and political structure did you set out to, to say something political or is it just inherent in the 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 subject matter yeah that's a great question um so at this stage, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what I said. <laughs> <out to> do. <laughs> um, <laughs> have, you, have you always been I, interested in, in those kinds of things? I, do you read Noam Chomsky? I suppose Chomsky? there was some political element 
in that I remember when I was first trying out pieces of material for this, people said, oh, but could we not have a kind of right-wing voice here too? <laughs> and I did consider that, and I thought, well, what, a right-wing voice who says it's okay to allow a million people to die? Trump? Um, <laughs> and, um, and I actually think that there is a kind of good spectrum of views here. Um, I mean, for example, I don't, maybe other people do, but I don't consider Krugman a very left-wing figure, for example. Mm. And um, I think that there, I'm not setting out to make a statement. In fact, if anything, there are conflicting statements in this. So there are mm. conflicting statements mm. from the commentators. I am looking at the question of history, though, because I think that history is in the eye of the beholder, that we all make history uh, fresh again with each new generation by how we describe the event that happened. Mm -hmm. And there are some striking parallels with today in creeping inequality. And also, this just keeps happening. You know, famines happen in other parts of the world, and as long as we view them as the other, um, they seem to, you know, take root. And That's I suppose, um, so I wanted to examine those questions. I don't have any answers or anything like that, um, but I suppose there's no doubt that this is my most political crusading piece that I've ever written. Mm -hmm. and at one stage, I actually became nervous of that, yeah. and then I, then I didn't. Then I embraced. <laughs> <laughs> well, does it does does it concern you, or do you think about the space that it's being performed in? I know that's being done at BAM, which has this sort of very ornate very sort of the bam opera house yeah is it's it's being isn't it being done in the large space there it is it's been mm -hmm. done in the opera house at bam yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it, it does that change the meaning of the i know you've done this in other places but doing this piece in a place that looks so uh, let's use the word patriarchal <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> or money yeah, I, it's I, a money i hear place. you there yeah. i mean mm -hmm. um i suppose it doesn't really concern me in that um, I can only worry about so much in relation to it, and I kind of think that at least we get to present it, you yeah. know? Um, we, we only, we've only presented it one other place in its stage version. I had done a concert mm. version in June, which I have since revised. This is a piece I've tinkered with quite a bit to bring it to the place where I am now with it, and I'm actually uh, quite happy with it now. What, and, was, the, um, what was the total I, composition I, time? But, but yeah, I mean, the question of space is, is, is an interesting one. I remember when I visited Rome and I saw the, the Vatican once and how ornate that was and how uneasy that sat with me. And, <laughs> um, and, uh, but at least BAM is not as ornate as the Vatican. They <laughs> <laughs> didn't have the same budget. <laughs> they should put that on the, the brochures, not yeah. as ornate as the Vatican. I read, I read, I read something interesting. Um, apparently, your, your, some of your instrumentalists are involved in the staging. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I, the way Tom Creed, has, uh, who's the director, the way he staged it, alarms sound are kind of dotted through the space. And actually, it's wonderful because it brings out spatialization inherent in the composition as well, mm. and it kind of it kind of implicates them in the action as well. Uh, and um, but that that was actually that came from Tom that idea, mm. and it actually had quite good musical benefits too. Right. Mm -hmm. 
You mean you could get, because um, I know they're a really fantastic group of musicians, but you could actually get a better sound when they were on the stage or where they were placed? Yes, on the, the sound is better. It's huh. better with them spatialized. And they're not. And are, actually, are I've done mic'd? that with a bunch of pieces recently. I wrote a piece. I wrote two pieces last year that had kind of spatialized sound. And maybe Tom was thinking of that when he was staging this. One was this piece, Tesselatum, for Nadia Sorota, the viola player, and Eleven Vials. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eleven and vials. although we just did with four and surround backing. And another was a piece I wrote for Third Coast percussion for uh, surface tension which had the four percussionists around in the space and there's something i really like about this kind of enveloping sound and actually it does work with this kind of pulsating approach to these overtone structures that i use Mm. um it kind of there is something where in the hunger you get caught up in it in the middle you start off essentially as a participant just like asanath but then as asana transforms herself in a way she 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 becomes a part- she becomes she was an observer and she becomes a participant really in it so do we we sort of enter the sound and i like that you you feel it quite viscerally as the production um uh, proceeds like about ha- a little over halfway through you feel that suddenly you're right in it you know mm-hmm. So I know that you work in various styles and in different kinds of forms. Um, is there something about the, the idea of setting this particular story as an opera as opposed to doing it as some sort of uh, concert? Or, or there, is there a reason you, you felt to express it in, in the in operatic form? Yeah, and actually, I mean, one could debate whether to call it an opera or not. I, I had long sort of thought about do I call it an opera or not and in fact they went ahead and called it an opera without really (laughs) (laughs) so so it's um, I I mean you could also think of it as a kind of staged music theater but it is a a music theater piece for sure Mm -hmm. and I do love working in that domain so I did the opera The Last Hotel I'm doing this and I'm about to do another opera with Enda Walsh in Ireland and uh, Britain and um, I love the form. I love that way of working. I'm sort of addicted to it at the moment. Have, have you always uh, felt that way? or No, this has crept up on me. Uh, I suppose I had, yeah, within the last six years or so, um, yeah, it's really sort of become a kind of thing that, um, that I adore, yeah. So it, and um, and also just in relation to the, I mean, I, just an earlier question 
that you asked me that's sort of uh, still eating at me at the back of my head about the ornate surroundings for it. I don't want to... That's the danger about doing a topic like this, which is has a kind of political edge, but I don't want to come across as holier than thou. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't have any special morality at all. I often think I'm no better, I'm no better than anyone else, if not worse sometimes. <laughs> uh, and that when I'm writing this piece, I question myself, oh, have I done uh, enough for people? You know, I just live my life writing music and I often think, hmm, I don't know how much I've actually really helped. So when at one point in this, opera towards the end when Branko Milanovic asks, what would you do to, to help someone? I think he's asking that question to me. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. me. I, I, I wonder what would I actually, what would I do? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. these things happen and you just keep going on with life. So I'm no, uh, I'm definitely not some more moral person. In fact, that's why I wanted to address this. Yeah, question. I don't think that the opera has ever had a particularly moral component. I think it's actually kind of known. What, what about what? Really? Op- yeah, what about the Mamels of Tiresias? But you, you say Wait someone's an opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> you say someone's an opera singer. You don't think, oh wow. That person must be just such a lovely esteem. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, on that, on that opera end, opera people it, have not been known for being particularly. Yeah, bad. no, I just yeah. thought in terms of, of opera plots and opera stories, issues oh, yeah. of yeah. morality and Morale redemption is just stuck mm-hmm. right in. But uh, I have a question, um, Donaka, about how you feel about like you said you have uh, the English soprano. She's in a more classically trained. She's singing in a more classically trained style. Do you have yeah. a preference? Do you like writing for singers that are? actors speaker singers or the or more traditional singers folk singers or do you like the bel canto sound do you do, is that something that you struggle with yeah. or have struggled with i was just talking about this with my uh, students today because I'm, I'm just doing this seminar here on princeton and writing for Ooh. non-operatic voices mm-hmm. and um i and most of them seem to have this kind of uh, many have a disdain for the operatic voice uh, and I said, actually, I love the operatic voice. Oh, uh, I, I mean, I really, if of all musicians, I think my greatest respect is for singers because mm. of what they have to do, how they have to embody it, how they have to act it. It's just, it's, it's an extraordinary talent. Uh, uh, we were just doing auditions for my new opera in, in, in London uh, about two weeks ago. And, uh, and I felt I shouldn't even be sitting here making these decisions because these people are just... Uh, have these incredible talents, you know. Mm-hmm. So I actually, if I were to pick my favorite type of musician, I'd probably say an opera singer. Right. <laughs> wow. Wow. I would have been shocked to say that 10 years ago. Huh. But I, there are certain types of voice that I do like. I like them with much less vibrato. I like a kind of a clear sound. And that's actually not so difficult to get these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and in fact, in the hunger, they're, they're, they're slightly amplified as well. And that allows, and, and of course... You get that, of course, that would be anathema to some real purist opera uh, mm. lovers. But, you know, you get that a lot now, even um, in in straightforward opera, too. And, and, of course, we've moved on a lot sure. to make it much more a sophisticated art, how to deal with these things. Mm. And um, so, but I also love the kind of uh, uh, individuality in the voice. And, and actually, I hear a huge individuality in, in, in Kate's voice, uh, as I do in Irla. So I see them as being the right voices for their characters in this. You know, I couldn't have written 
um, the the man role for a sort of bel canto baritone, but I couldn't have written Asenath's role for a folk singer either. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, I I suppose you know it's horses for courses, <laughs> and <laughs> uh-huh. in that I'm not uh, opposed to the yeah I have massive respect for singers. I I, I my 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 own preference is for less vibrato. But that's um, not difficult to find these days. I think that ending on a praise for the opera singer is a wonderful place to stop <laughs> this interview because I think we all agree with you. And I yeah. just want to uh, tell everyone to go to bambam.org to check out for more information. I don't know if there are any tickets left, but it is September 30th through October 1st at BAM. And Donica, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. I really enjoyed chatting. Okay. Thanks. Great. See you soon. Bye. 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 So, awesome. uh, so let's just do one sort of lightning round uh, at the end of the show. Uh-huh. Just uh, something, uh, something you want to exit on. Anything? Exit strategy. Exit strategy. Uh, I'm just psyched that we're back and that it's yeah. different. It's going to be maybe more intense. Yeah, I, I, I love I love the physical um, presence of all of us in the same room. I think that's going to make. Yeah, we're in the room together, yeah. listeners. Yeah. So does uh, is there anything uh, that you want to to speak on, Chuck, from the booth? Why, certainly. I think I'd like to talk about the advent of rock opera back on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Because uh, before the podcast today, I actually came from the matinee of Hamilton. Uh, which oh, really? Yes, which far surpassed my greatest expectations. Oh. Um, and... I'm also looking forward to The Great Comet, which is Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet of... Is that a rock? 1812, whatever. It's a long title. Let's just call it The Great Comet, which ran at a tent and then kind of off-Broadway, and now it's coming to Broadway starring Josh Groban and Denis Benton. But is is it really rock? It is a wild mixture of progressive rock and classical and jazz and Russian... And sort of electronic uh, stuff. Also. Yes, and electronic. Yeah, I saw and, it at Ars but, Nova. But it's it definitely it isn't it is a rock opera because it's all sung, um, and it's based on those seventy pages from War and Peace. Because um, who needs to write a whole opera about War and Peace? Although I know For they're happening probably, but <laughs> <laughs> that would Good be answer. a really long piece, and <laughs> we don't need any Wagnerian pieces on that. So, so you saw Hamilton. I saw Hamilton. It was it was stunning. Really? Uh, it just the whole physical production and uh, people go, oh, it's hip hop. It's more than that. It is, it's highly melodic and it's most importantly, highly emotional. And I'm, I'm, for me, I'm kind of calling it the Les Mis for the, for our age right now, because, um, it has that feel, that epic scope. Um, there's a, around a turntable going too, and it's a big unit set. But the important thing, the big difference is that, it's about our own country's history right. and about major events that happened and about Hamilton, who was sort of forgotten along the way. You know, and I'll tell you my, my, my horrible Hamilton story, because first of all, first of all, it costs so much to see it. And there's a question, you know, they, they nail opera for being elitist. 
But I just bought tickets yesterday for like 20 bucks. Oh, sure you did. <laughs> I just thought my ticket was 99. Of course, I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. I had to buy it in November of right. last year. Oh, wow. But that's what you have to do. And I've, it is I've, worth the I've wait. I've been on the lottery for like three months and I wow. still haven't gotten it. Really? Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to investigate and find out more about it. So I went to the web. I know I should never have done that. <laughs> but I went and I listened to, to One Piece and I just. I, I must say I was not impressed. So uh, it sounded like the Little Mermaid music oh, with you, people you, rapping is... over it. <laughs> do, 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 no, do, no, do, no, do, no. Hamilton. Do, 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 I, do. You need I to hear a lot more of it. I listened to a bunch of it, and I, I found that, because I'm not a big musical theater guy, and I found, I remember thinking, if I liked musical theater, I would go crazy for this, but I just the style rubs me the wrong way. Really? But I yeah, but I do I was in, I was impressed with like I every once in a while I go through a phase where I'm like I'm going to listen to as much yeah, you know, I'm going to go through YouTube and listen to a, something from every show that's on Broadway. Right. And usually I just like throw up 12 times oh, and then may on. have one thing where I go like, "All right. Really? All right." See, you, I you love know? musical theater. I really do. And but I, when I listened to it, I was like, "This just it didn't sound like good rap to me. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because like, you're a who professional your top rapper. five rap artist. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. Ah. Like I'm like an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I listened to the I could, whole album. I, yeah. I I was really impressed by it. Really? Like, yeah, All right. I, I found it like very very high level of writing. So you know, and that's um, I remember. It, I felt really. Like, I mean, textually, it is unbelievable how like how much information he crammed into that show is, and 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 he said himself. That hip hip hop is an amazing media medium for it because you can fit so many words into 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 that space. And so I'll keep an open mind, job. and if they want to throw a ticket my way, I'll go. Hey, hey I'll yeah. go. I'll I mean, it's go. funny because we make fun of like <laughs> I think the style. It didn't strike me as stylistically very much like hip hop. And I I looked at hip. I mean, I love hip hop personally, but I also looked at it seriously. Like when I wrote a thesis on it for a while, the style doesn't. I don't. I don't hear the hip hop style, but. The way exactly what you're talking about of astonishing the listener with a sheer amount of information being packed into a small and, space. And creative, they use that. They use you know, that part of the medium. Yeah. You know, like and the, yet the yeah. other thing it really gets is the emotional content, mm -hmm. which you're you're not so much used. To, I mean, well, it's not going to come in, across in on YouTube so much, but <laughs> it really it just comes out. And the the truly stunning thing is that at the end of the piece. He goes to just spoken. Uh -huh. There's a there's an end monologue that is spoken. It's not hip hop. It's not really in rhythm. He's he's not chanting it. And it's that moment that it just focuses your whole mind onto it and ear onto it because it's everything else is stopped. Right. Hmm. All right. Um, I'll keep an open mind. <laughs> yes. And the the cast replacements are as superb as the originals. So um, I highly recommend it. If you're, I mean, just buy the ticket now. You'll see it in a year. <laughs> and I just wanted to put a, out a final thing. Uh, a dear friend of ours, uh, who is was a real asset to the opera community, passed away two months ago. Lloyd Ariola, now an amazing musician, an amazing conductor, and an amazing friend to a lot of people. Um, and it's been a huge loss to the entire community here in New York and yeah. all the places that he's touched. And I just wanted to definitely put a shout out to Lloyd, who may be listening somewhere, uh, that we all miss you. And we are so proud to have gotten to know you uh, for the short time that you were here. So thank you so much for listening to the Indiapa podcast. And 
And congratulations, people, for our first show at the National Opera Center. Yeah. See you next time. All See right. you. Send your questions and comments to comments at IndieOpera.com. If you are new to the Indie Opera podcast, go to iTunes and subscribe. That way, our show will be automatically downloaded to your smartphone or other media device. And please rate our show in iTunes is a free way to show your support. We love our subscribers. And if you want to help us bring you these shows, please consider making a completely tax-deductible donation or by sponsoring a show. Details are on our website, where you can also find all of our previous shows. The Indie Opera Podcast is recorded at the National Opera Center and is produced by me, Peter Zepp, with the help of my co-hosts Noah Lethbridge, Walker Lewis, and Brooke Larimer, and with the support of Chuck Sachs, associate producer, editor Ross Crean, who created our theme music, and with recording engineer Ben Young. Thank you for listening. Got Stitcher? We're on it, so get it. Stitcher is an award-winning provider of news and talk radio for your mobile phone. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.